0: Here in Ecuador, where we live, we don't have a washer and dryer. It's pretty rare for people to have a washer and dryer in their house. It happens, but most people don't, and most people use um, a lavanderia. I'm butchering the pronunciation. But there are uh, laundromats all over the place, and they're, it's usually like two, three washers, two, three dryers, and then a family. Um, that's kind of their family business. And um, we take ours to to one here, and um, this wonderful lady, Silvana, she does all of our laundry. And this week, I was just thinking about original sin and just how damaging of a doctrine it is. And I was actually thinking about it on the way to the laundromat, you know. And then I started to think back to when I was 9 or 10, when my mom first started to have me do laundry, um and i would even do her laundry mom if you're listening i forgive you no i'm just kidding um most of the time she did her own laundry but you know when you you live in a house occasionally you have to you know move mom's mom's or dad's laundry from the washer to the dryer and you may see some garments you wish you had never seen and maybe you're still trying to find healing from that no i'm just kidding um but i was thinking back when i did laundry and um, first started to learn to do laundry, and, you know, you do the whites together, and then when I first started, I accidentally put a couple, like, really colorful things in with the whites because I hadn't learned yet not to do that. And I really think, as silly as it sounds, that this doctrine of original sin is kind of like putting a red, a brand-new red shirt or a brand-new red pair of pants in a load of whites, and you just you you know the cycle finishes, and you look at it, and all your your clothes have been uh, their true color has been distorted, and now they they're not what they were intended to be, and I really think that this doctrine of original sin is like that, um, you know, and I I personally believe, you know. Humans are, are born with dignity. They're born innocent, blameless, pure. Um, if you are a father or a mother listening to this and you've held your baby and looked into their eyes, you see like timelessness and eternity and purity in their eyes. Um, you know, it is, it's later on that these ideas are implanted into their brains from the outside. Um, and then they attach to their brains and our brains these teachings. Specifically, I'm, today I'm talking about original sin or original transferred guilt, is the technical theological term, but known as original sin. And you know, popularized by Augustine at the end of the fourth century, around the 380s, 390s. Um, Augustine had his own struggles, but but it created this very neat like uh, gospel presentation that, that, you know, gained momentum, and, you know, by the time the Reformation came, it was a very popular and accepted doctrine in the West. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church has never accepted original sin, which is something I didn't know until probably 2016, 2017. Um, here in the United States, or in the West in general, we tend to think that The way, what we've been born into is the way, number one, it's always been. Uh, Number two is the true way. And number three, that there's no, there's no other way to look at things. So most of us didn't even know we could object. Uh, You just, you know, these are the teachings and they, they come into your brain from the outside and they attach to you and then they become part of you during your formative years. And, um, You know, I mentioned DMT in the last episode when when the first time I did DMT, I had three deaths. And those were deaths of versions of myself that believed lies that needed to die. And I needed to repopulate without those lies. And those were three beliefs that I had. um, I'm not even sure what they were that I had had since childhood, that when you have a belief for 15, 20, 30 years, it becomes part of you and uh, one of the blessings of of plant medicine is those false versions of yourself that believe those lies they experience death and I really physically felt death and then I felt new life and it was really really beautiful and uh, Jake stringer without these without those beliefs is still unfolding every day this whole year um, th- those false beliefs that that died and then uh the stuff with my grandfather and dad that i worked through when i was on the medicine uh they have resulted in a version of myself that i'm meeting for the first time but this doctrine uh is truly it will it will taint everything else it touches you know and i think back to genesis chapter 2 And there's a verse in Genesis where um, it's in chapter 2. What verse is it? He puts Adam in Eden. Okay. Yeah, it's Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And it says, And Jehovah God taketh the man, I'm reading out of the Young's literal, and causeth him to rest in the garden of Eden, to serve it and to keep it. And this year... Um, has been about rest for us. Um, and, but what I'm realizing is, you know, if the pendulum was all the way over to one side in, you know, stress and production, uh, which is where it really was for me before we got here, and then we swung it all the way over to rest, and we, we have done a lot of detoxing from the invisible stressors. And pressures that exist in the United States that don't exist here. Um, it's interesting to me that part of part of Adam's quote resting in the Garden of Eden was to serve it and to keep it. And so that's kind of where I am now. That's where I'm back on the podcast um, because I'm realizing I've I've overcorrected and swung the pendulum. All the way to the other side to complete rest and then it's settling back in the bottom and I'm realizing okay I can serve and keep while being restful also. I, I was too heavy into the serving and keeping without resting. And that's kind of how culture in the United States is. It's a lot of serving and keeping and very little resting so everything is out of balance. Uh, you know everyone's soaking up every minute of the weekend every minute of the evening. Uh, You know, you get two weeks of vacation, but on those two weeks, you struggle to enjoy them because the scarcity mindset takes over your mind because even on the first day of your vacation, you know you're only six days from Monday when you have to go back to work. So it keeps you serving and keeping and never resting. So we came to Ecuador and we fully swung the pendulum into resting. Uh, and, and we even, you know, we have uh, rental properties back in Kentucky and our property manager was doing the serving and the keeping of the, of the rental properties. 90% of it, there was still, you know, banking stuff and paperwork stuff that, that we have to handle because we're the presidents of the, of the LLC that owns the houses. But, um, most of the serving and keeping was that, uh, that we were doing. He he and his wife did. So we were fully over into rest. But now I'm realizing, okay, serving and keeping is also part of my purpose. And this I want us to think about our Eden is um think of Eden as self-love. So we if Eden is self-love, then it's wise to serve and keep. Our Eden. And so when you are only serving other interests and keeping other things going that aren't you and doing very little rest, okay, everything is out of balance. Your Eden, the ecosystem is out of balance. And, you know, if you read Genesis chapter 2, there are four rivers that flow. Out of Eden, and those rivers. If you think of Eden as as your own uh, mental health, your own self love, okay. Four rivers. Picture them flowing out of your understanding of self love, um, or your your theological beliefs, and those those rivers are going going to uh, export whatever is in Eden. So I believe serving and keeping Eden uh let let me simple, let me let me just say this if eden is your theological structure you you owe it to yourself to serve it and to keep to keep it and so one of the the best ways and simplest ways to serve and keep your eden and make sure that it's exporting uh, and even into your physical body your your body is going to manifest whatever's going on in your eden it could manifest dis-ease. and what what heals you you know may be chemotherapy, but it also may be you healing your Eden from from toxic things growing there uh, which which can be toxic theology. And so this this belief in a sinful nature is so toxic and it's like a red shirt and your load of whites. Uh, That's gonna it's gonna taint everything, and it's gonna ruin everything because it this doctrine particularly is is about self love, and I think it's interesting that Jesus Jesus observably did not believe in this teaching. He never mentions this teaching. In fact, he looks at people that have never said a sinner's prayer, that have never walked the aisle and knelt on an altar and begged for forgiveness, people that have never laid in their bed and asked Jesus into their heart, people that most of them were even resisting the teaching that he was doing. Um, and he calls them family, and he calls them sons and daughters of God, over and over and over. And these people have not met any criteria to, to go from outside um the the family of god to inside the family of god through meeting some religious criteria like reciting a prayer asking jesus into your heart walking the aisle kneeling on an altar begging for forgiveness because with this doctrine of original sin it 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 starts all of us out at a deficit and then or, or like across a gap from god you may have seen some of those uh I know I've seen illustrations like in a tract that like a like a church will hand out where it'll show on one side is you and then there's a giant canyon or a valley and it says sin in it and then on the other side is God and then Jesus is the believing in Jesus is builds a bridge so you can then cross the chasm of sin to get over to God. So if if in the light of self-love and keeping your mental health um, your mental, Eden, healthy. Um, what does that do to us? To believe we're, to accept into our belief system at seven, eight, nine years old that there is this, um, like, chasm between you and the divine. And so then you start to live from this false reality, and but you don't know it's false because it's all you've ever heard. So, if you're listening to this and you've never heard anybody say that original sin is not true, before you turn it off, you know I would just I would just urge you to dress and keep your Eden. Uh, make sure if if a belief is true, it can withstand scrutiny. You know if a foundation is strong, it can withstand. Shaking. So, if you shake this belief, uh, part of part of dressing and keeping your Eden, or your your theological structure, your belief system, your self love, your self opinion, is challenging beliefs you have about yourself, shaking them to see if they can withstand scrutiny. You know, um, if I. If I, um, there's so much I can say about this doctrine. It's just really hard to narrow it down. But if I say I, I murder someone and, and I go to jail, and when I go to jail, uh, you know, four months after I'm in jail, my girlfriend comes and visits me and she tells me that she's six months pregnant. And I take a DNA test and uh, it turns out this is my baby. And she was two months pregnant when I committed murder. And now I've been in jail for four months. And, and my girlfriend is six months pregnant with my child. Imagine that child being born and immediately being put in jail because of what I did. How do you think the people would, would, would uh, perceive that? Um if imagine being in a courtroom and someone bringing a case that my baby needs to go to jail because I committed murder before it was born do you think that that prosecutor could win that case do you think a judge would actually rule that that my baby should be thrown in jail because I committed murder no, no judge would would rule that, and that, that's just one generation apart. Okay, that is my direct descendant, one generation from me. Now imagine six thousand years of generations. If you know, if if you believe in a young earth or whatever, let's just say you do believe that the earth is about six thousand years old, like creationists say, and um, about six thousand years ago is when Adam was quote sinning in the garden. And then that sin somehow passes to the next generation. You know that. Imagine that. Imagine being born. What is forty into? Gosh, to be a hundred times, hundred and fifty generations. Imagine being ten years old, and you know, and one day the police show up at your house, and they arrest you, and they put you in juvenile juvenile detention center, and they say it's because 150 generations before you were born, your descendant, Adam, committed this sin, and because he did that 6,000 years ago, you now need to go to jail. Would you just accept that? Obviously not. You and if I was a parent and you know while while i was away from my house you know the someone came and and arrested my child for something that you know someone 150 generations before did i would do everything i could as a father to obviously redeem them from that situation to get them back and so a lot of the redemption that we need is to be redeemed or bought back from these toxic teachings. Not necessarily. We don't need redeemed from the old covenant. We've never been under the old covenant. We're not even under the new covenant. Um, again, that keeps coming up. I need to do. I need to do an episode on that. Um, if yeah, I don't want to get sidetracked on that, but the the theological load of clothes so to speak is discolored by these toxic teachings so rather than seeing yourself from a young age during your formative years your precious little mind is so moldable and it is most moldable by those you trust so when those you trust your parents usually take you to a place where um Teaching is then given by people your parents also trust. Um, you, You allow those ideas to penetrate your mind, and they become attached to you. And then later in life, the bad fruit of those teachings starts to spring up, and you don't know what's happening. And I really think what's happening is it's time to dress and keep your Eden, your theological structure, um, and and get those toxic those toxins out of the garden because the four rivers are flowing from your garden and they're carrying toxins or they're carrying pure life-giving water and so like this this doctrine uh, it's like a quilt doctrine you know when someone makes a quilt they take um, lots of different pieces of fabric and stitch them together so you can, you can quilt, you can make a quilt out of anything, you know? You, you, if the Bible is, uh, is a bunch of different pieces of fabric, you can certainly quilt together the doctrine of original sin. You certainly can do that. But that doesn't mean that the Bible teaches it. Uh, being able to quilt something together doesn't mean... It, being able to quilt something together in the Bible using proof texts or verse verses from all over the Bible doesn't mean that the Bible actually teaches that. Remember, the Bible is a library of conflicting scrolls. So you're going to have all different types of fabric uh, from different writers that you need to quilt together to make something work. You know, if you, if you simply read Genesis... On the 6th day God makes the beasts of the earth and the fowls of the earth and the beasts of the sea and then he makes man and he says it was very good. It's interesting he he makes the the beasts and the fowls and the sea creatures he makes in the image of the earth. But then when he makes man he says let us make man in our image, you know, and the that's the Hebrew word Elohim which is uh you know the the triune God so father son holy spirit all all of them in the image of of holy spirit father jesus uh you know that if that's kind of your picture of of what god is made up of um you know i believe there's equal parts feminine energy masculine energy uh we don't want to get sidetracked on that but in genesis chapter 2 man is you know got God makes man, and man is, and God says man is very good. You know, even when Cain is pondering uh, the things that he was going to do, God says sin is crouching at your door. He doesn't say sin is rising up from within you. Um, he doesn't say your sin nature is overtaking your thoughts and is potentially going to cause you to, to do this action, Cain. He says sin is crouching at your door. So it's it's outside. So when I look at the Bible, I see people that are capable of righteous acts and people that are capable of sinful acts. What what's changed? Nothing's changed. Uh, we're born, and we're born with inherent dignity and purity. But we also have the capacity to do destructive things. Absolutely. So this makes us responsible for our actions. You know, it's interesting when you you purge original sin from your belief system, it actually highlights your need for personal responsibility and increases your need for wisdom in actions led by love. But then the more you begin to love yourself, now that that teaching is finally gone out of your belief system, the more you naturally act from from self-love. Because your your Eden, your garden, is purified to such a degree when you finally purge original sin from your belief system that those four rivers that are flowing out They're they're carrying things like peace and wisdom and love and healing, you know, and you don't even know what those rivers are carrying when you still believe in original sin. You know, so much of the depression that Christians have, Christians aren't happier than non Christians. They're more depressed. Because of these teachings, because of, especially today, we're talking about original sin, think of all of us, millions and millions, hundreds of millions, over a, over two, three billion people potentially believing that they are rotten at their core, that their Eden is just full of toxins and their rivers are carrying and exporting toxins. Now, we haven't articulated that, but because we have that core belief That's what's happening. So those rivers carry those things into our physical bodies, into our mind, and they bear bad fruit. Of course they bear bad fruit. You believe you're rotten. And so then you you see the world, and rather than seeing humanity that is uh, connected to the divine, you just see... It's like in... uh, Gosh, is it, is it Psalm? No, I think it's Isaiah chapter 6. And it's before Isaiah is going to prophesy that the angel says he has to change Isaiah's perspective on the world because the Isaiah said, I see sin in me and I see sin everywhere around me in the world. Okay, that's where Christian. that's a picture of where most Christians are. We see sin in ourselves because we've been taught original sin. And then we see sin all around us, just like Isaiah did. But then the angel says to Isaiah, Oh, the earth is full of glory. It's a beautiful place. And he shifts Isaiah's perspective. And only after that shift does Isaiah go and prophesy. Or in other words, uh, export from his Eden. Okay, so it's the same with us. When we're taught original sin, then we go prophesy or preach or tell people about God. We are exporting toxic water, not just to the other people, but it's also flowing on the inside of our own physical bodies. And our own mental health is polluted by these waters. But when we have this perspective shift and we get the red shirt out of the load of whites... Then we be, we realize, wow, we feel physically better. You know the the other preachers we know. This is what happened to me. Might might think we're off our rocker, um, but but I'm feeling better and I'm feeling healthier. I feel more equipped to love myself, to love my wife, to love my kids. I'm so thankful I've had this shift while my kids are still little because I'm certainly not teaching them that they're sinful at their core because then I would perpetuate those toxic waters uh, to the next generation, and I am not going to do that. You know, I think back when, uh, gosh, you know, it just starts to flow when I get on these podcasts, but I'm also, you know, three years away from preaching every week, so (laughs) my addresses are not as sharp as they were. But when Benjamin was born, uh, his mom wanted to name him a name that meant oh it meant my it essentially means my child will carry my pain and in other words this is a picture that she wanted her child to endure the same pain she did and then i believe jacob changes the name to benjamin which is a picture that he will not allow the pain of one generation to be transferred to the next. So he, he stops that generational narrative. Uh, and he says, no, this, this type of thinking, there's no way it's transferring to the next generation. And so dress and keep your Eden, your, your theological structure, your, your load of laundry— there are a few red socks and red shirts in there that you may need to get out. And I think personally, uh, f- just from my experience, which you don't have to listen to me, um, but from my experience, the one we need to get out of our load of laundry first uh, is, is this doctrine of original sin. It, it makes it so this, this it shrinks this, uh, our worldview down so small causes us to see sin in ourselves and all around us in the world like Isaiah did. But it causes us to need a perspective shift before we then speak over ourselves or speak to other people, certainly in the name of God, just like it did for Isaiah. He needed to see what the angel saw, which is, no, 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 the earth is full of God's glory, which means good opinion. So people are capable of bad things and good things. That's, I mean, that's observable around us. If I do something destructive, I need to own up to that, not chalk it up to my sin nature. Um, you know, what we believe about ourselves is what we act from, not our nature. So, you know, when, back when we had a church, I, I would share this story to make this point, but I just want to share it. I know, um, I think it's helpful if, you know, I I had a friend that had um, a cat, and this cat had a litter of kittens. And one day they realized that the kittens, one of them was missing. And so they look everywhere for this kitten, and they just chalk it up that it's run into the woods, because they lived, uh, they had a house with woods all around. It's run into the woods, and they were very sad, but they just, okay, this kitten's lost. And then a couple years later, Uh, This friend of mine, he's a teenager, and he's taking out the trash. And when he's carrying the bag out of the house, he sees a family of raccoons in the trash, and there's a cat with them. And this cat is acting exactly like the raccoons. And he double-takes, you know, when he looks at this cat, and he realizes, oh, my God, I think that's that kitten that left. And this kitten is acting exactly like a raccoon. And what had happened is the kitten had run away, and was accepted by this family of raccoons and was raised by them. And thus believed it was a raccoon and thus was acting like a raccoon despite it having a cat nature. So what we believe about ourselves is, is what we act from. Okay, so kids are much more inclusive than adults. Kids don't see color but adults do. Um, Kids are generous, but kids can also be mean. But we see things like uh, a greater capacity for love and acceptance and uh, a lack of prejudices evident in kids. But then later in life, those same people could be full of prejudice and very unloving. So they came out of the gate born unindoctrinated These ideas had not been presented to them. And then we indoctrinate the kids with these, and then as adults, we then act from that indoctrination. So, indoctrination lies, humanity humanity lies right behind the indoctrination. So, let's see humanity first, and, and we can acknowledge most of us are indoctrinated. But not all doctrines are unhealthy. You know, if you shift away from sin nature and you begin to believe that you were born with, you know, original blessing and original dignity and original innocence and that you were a victim of a toxic teaching and you don't have to be defined by that teaching and that core belief Anymore, that you can dress and keep your garden and purge the toxins from your garden, get that red sock out of the laundry, and then you'll notice the waters that's flowing from your four rivers, from your Eden, your thought life, your theological structure. They're going to be much healthier, and you're going to begin to see good fruit. So even Jesus said, you know the tree by the fruit, okay you know if a doctrine is healthy or not by what it bears in your life if it's bearing division us and them thinking in and out thinking saved damned thinking uh you know uh all all those those uh like what is dualistic ideas that is bad fruit okay and so you then go back to the source sorry what what tree is that fruit growing on? And if you peel it all back, you'll probably get to a belief in original sin. And you see sin in yourself. Sin, you see, you know, separation and a lack of dignity and inherent worth and value just as you are. You believe that, uh, you know, you were born needing to be fixed. I mean, so you, you carry that belief. And then you, you, and then, um, you know, waters flow, tree is, or a fruit is eaten from that tree by you, and then you feed other people. And so we're dispersing toxins as as long as we believe this. So um, dress and keep your garden, but also rest. This is, uh, you know, I'm just going to trust that this episode I want to provoke thought, Uh, you know, um, so I hope that it's thought-provoking, and I want you to get excited. You're not a heretic if you purge believing in original sin from your belief system. Now, you may find you don't fit as neatly into a weekly gathering church. You may find that you can no longer sit there and listen while a preacher talks about how sinful the world is. Um, You may find those things. But you will personally be so much healthier. Your Eden will be toxin free, or at least uh, you'll get a major toxin out of your Eden. The waters flowing to your own physical body and to your own mental health reservoir will be much healthier and more life giving. And you can just you can trust that that um, there there are people. This is the the faith part of it. The trust part is that. If you find yourself not fitting in your previous places after you purge this doctrine, trust that that God has people for you that are already where you are. Um, you know, each time I would I would challenge some theological idea when when we had our church, uh, especially the first one when I changed my eschatology and I stopped believing in the rapture, I lost literally every single one of my f- preacher friends. And I was friendless for a few months. And then I started meeting all these guys and girls that had also shifted their eschatology. And I realized, man, I owe it to myself to dress and keep my theological garden. And when I do that, and and if I end up purging a doctrine, there is a relational cost. I will lose friends, but you know what? God has got new people for me. And then uh, I want to encourage you with this. By the fourth or fifth thing that I deconstructed, what's happening is simultaneously your consciousness is increasing because you are ridding yourself of fear and guilt and shame, which is what keeps you in a low-level human consciousness like we talked about la- last episode. So your consciousness increases and then you're, you'll realize that your circle um of friends is is all kind of beyond the point where they'll leave you if you change a view on this or that. You're all mature enough that even if you shift, you guys have, have grown up enough. It's funny that the more heretical I got in terms of the evangelical perspective, purging things like hell, sin nature, rapture, inerrancy, the more I did that, uh, and the more heretical people that were still where I just came from were, were calling me. The higher my consciousness was getting, the more peaceful I was getting, the better dad I was, the better husband I was, the better, the more self-love I had, uh, the healthier the waters were flowing to my physical body and my my mental health and flowing out to others. And I just, over time, you just realize, wow, like, I just don't need that in my life anymore. And it, but it does take trust so the principal thing is just to keep your theological Eden healthy and toxin-free. So that, that may result in people disassociating, but that reveals that those relationships were based on agreement and weren't very deep. The pain is still real, however— and it will take trust for you to continue to keep going forward because what happens to so many people is they start to deconstruct a lot of toxic theological ideas, and then there begins to be a relational cost with people we've known for a long time, and the relational cost is too great, and then they'll stop challenging their beliefs and stop purifying their theological Eden. And you die a little bit inside when you do that, and then the relationship with those people is never the same. And there's no condemnation if that happens, or if you've done that. No condemnation. The, this path of, of scrutinizing your beliefs and making sure they're healthy and not toxic is still there for you when you're ready. God bless you guys. See you next episode.